Well, I invite you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Genesis. We're moving into the fourth chapter, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Now, let me just note there's one difference between me, those of you who are visiting or new, between me and the senior pastor. He uses one version of the Bible and I use the another. He uses the one that you have there in your pews, the New International Version, and you're certainly welcome to turn there and use that. Um, I use the English Standard Version, and I have that printed um, as an insert it's on the back of the mission moments if you want to follow there. Now, before we get into the scripture, we're going to do a little bit of a review here. Uh, Pastor Sam Smith has begun a sermon series in Genesis. And Sam's idea with that is to study characters in the book of Genesis for this purpose. And I'm, I'm quoting from what there is on that website. To learn how God intervenes in the life of his people to reveal both the, the source of their problems and his solutions. In fact, if you... You got those cards? We still have them out there if you want to give them to others. It says Genesis, the people, their problems, and God's solutions. And so the idea is by examining the stories of the people in Genesis, we're going to gain insight into our own lives and understand what God is doing in us. And so far, what we have learned is that God has made man in his image, that he intended for us to be stewards of his creation that he's made us with dignity, with purpose. However, the, in, that intent was marred by the fall of Adam and Eve. All of us now are born as sinners. We all share the same penalty for sin. Indeed, sin has infiltrated all of us so much that even, even a young man desiring to do good will succumb to the temptation of eating forbidden shrimp and have to pay the penalty for them. So, still hard to believe that he would fall so low. It's an inside joke for those coming for the first Sunday. But without this knowledge, Sam has told us this again and again, of what we were meant to be, of how we fell away from it, we cannot understand the big story of the Bible. Can't put it all together. And we certainly cannot understand what took place there on the cross. That's the message that Sam has been teaching us. And now we're going to see how it's played out in the first story following Adam and Eve. So look with me, verses 1 through 5. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering owned of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. 
Okay, it's a pretty clear-cut story. We have two sons, the first two sons of Adam and Eve, each presenting an offering to the Lord in keeping with their occupations. Okay, Cain is a farmer. He brings uh, from the, the produce of his crops. Uh, Abel is a shepherd, and so he brings from the firstborn of his flock. Abel's offering is accepted by God, and Cain's is not. We don't really know why. It doesn't tell us why. But the clear point is a simple one. There's one brother, Abel. He did what was pleasing to the Lord. The other brother, Cain, did not. Now, the next two verses provide what really is the central moral of the story. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, we're going to spend more time with these verses. They really are the central verses of this passage. But for now, all we need to note is that God, he warns Cain, okay? Don't let sin get the best of you, Cain. Okay. So he gives this warning. Now, our next verses bring us to the actual crime. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, here we have Cain. He callously murders his brother, okay? his younger brother. His crime is premeditated. That's just, you know, let's go out to the field and let's have a conversation. He then baldly lies to the Lord. And then he furthermore just callously denies any responsibility for his brother, again, his younger brother. So then what does God do? He judges. Verse 10, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to to me from the ground. God cannot be deceived. However hidden Cain's crime might have been, it is not, it cannot be hidden from God. Now, the judgment here given to Cain is very similar to his father's uh, uh, Adam. There's a distinct difference here. When Adam sinned, God had said, the ground will be cursed because of you. So that the earth, normally it should be easily bringing forth its fruit. It's only going to happen with great toil by you. But even so, still, something would come from that ground. Cain himself is cursed. And it's a curse rising from the ground, namely 
from the blood of Abel so that Cain's toil will now produce nothing from him. And the result is is that he must be a wanderer and he must go far away. Even so, I want you to know that God does not carry judgment to its full extent, just as he did with Adam and Eve. Just as they were permitted to live, they even prospered to some degree, Cain is allowed to live. And indeed, God will even protect him from harm. And so in verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now for our lesson, I want us to go back to that main moral. Remember, we looked at that in verses 6 and 7. Look at those verses with me again. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And consider that first question that the Lord asked Cain. He says, Why are you angry? What is it that has happened that has made you so angry? Well, his offering had been rejected, while his brothers had been accepted. Now, because Cain is one of us, what I mean, he's just another human being, this is something, actually, we can probably understand his feelings, how he was hurt by God. And indeed, I mean, there have been people who puzzled over this, over God's rejection. Because, you know, you look at it, and this seems rather an arbitrary rejection. Is God playing favorites? Well, no, God is not playing favorites. God explains to Cain. He says, look, if if you had done well, you and your offering would be accepted. Evidently, it was not hard for Cain to know what it was. We don't have the details as to... You know, what exactly the issue was. But the main problem for Cain, he doesn't seem to be pondering about it himself. He's not asking God, well, God, where did I go wrong? You know, I mean, um, should I have offered a lamb like Abel did? Um, Is there something wrong with my heart? What is it, God, that you wanted? Instead, what what does Cain do? He gets angry with his brother. I mean, what's that about? I mean, I mean, was Abel being, you know, one of those annoying little brothers, you know, about his offering, saying, God accepted my offering and he didn't accept yours? I mean, what's taking place there? What is the source of Cain's trouble here? Well, it lies not with Abel. It's not his brother's fault. It's not with God. It's not that God's being arbitrary. No, it lies crouching at his door. Cain's trouble is the entering of sin 
that has come into the world. It came into the world through his parents. And that sin is now infecting Adam and Eve's children. And evidently, it's already taking root in Cain. See, that's why he failed in the first place, to present an acceptable offering. Already sin was at work in him. And then we see it furthermore in the way that he responds to God's rejection of his offering. I mean, he's personally offended. He's not chastened. He's not convicted. He's not getting his due. God should have accepted it. So here we now have God. He alerts Cain, God himself, he's given him counsel, that, look, corrupting infection of sin is taking place. Isn't that a great image? Sin is crouching at the door, Cain. Okay. Sin is not content with mildly influencing Cain. Sin wants to rule Cain. If Cain is not careful, if he does not get a hold of himself, if Cain allows bitterness to grow, sin will do just that. It will take him over. Sin will take control of Cain, leading him to believe him to become a murderer. Even a murderer of his own kin. There's a chilling scene. Maybe you read this in high school. In William Golding's Lord of the Flies, that book where some children are uh, stranded on an island together. And there's a, they, they believe that there's a beast in the jungle, something evil out there. And there's a climatic scene of one boy, his name is Simon. He's standing before the head of a, of a wild pig that the boys have killed. And they place this head on a stake to, to ward off the, uh, the beast. And Simon has this image or this picturing this head speaking to him. And it is saying, there isn't anyone to help you. Only me. And I'm the beast. Fancy thinking the beast was something you could hunt and kill. You knew, didn't you? I'm part of you. Close. 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 I'm the reason why it's no go. Why things are the way they are. Because I'm in you. And the beast's sin is now in Cain. And God is warning him not to let it take over, but instead to master it. What could Cain have done? Well, he could have repented. He could have looked to God to control that beast within. He could have said, God, help me. And said, Cain yields to sin. He yields to hate. He yields to this now innate desire to just go his own way, to reject Look, even the counsel of his maker. You know, the New Testament provides a commentary about Cain and his sin. It's found in 1 John 3, verses 12 and 13. Let me read it to you. John is saying, look, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. And so he's saying, don't be surprised now, brothers, that the world hates you because the world is like Cain. Cain is man. He's the unregenerate world. He, he illustrates the condition of the human race. 
what has happened to each one of us. And this is where some of you might protest. I mean, probably I would hope all of you could say, I've never murdered anyone. Maybe you wanted to murder your little brother or your little sister, but you didn't do it. But hear what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, that is, go before judgment. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And do you get the point? What Jesus is saying here is that it's not the act of sin we commit out there. That's what identifies our condition. It's the sin within that has infiltrated our heart. Cain committed the act of murder out of a murderous hate in his heart. It's out of the heart. It's out of the heart of darkness. That's where come the acts of sin. Listen to Jesus again about this. This is in Matthew 15. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Consider again what John has to say about Cain. What did he say about Cain? He was of the evil one, that is, of Satan. The murder of his brother revealed who he already belonged to. Our acts are not what make us. It's what we already are that brings out those acts and reveals who we belong to. Now, again, I want you to listen to Jesus on this. This time in John 8, He's debating with some folks who still will not accept him. And he goes this way. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, they had just been saying, hey, Abraham is our father. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you can't bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so the problem for Cain, the problem for Cain was not that he had been treated unfairly by God. The problem was not ignorance over what kind of offering needed. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you wanted this. I didn't know you wanted that. Likewise, the failure of Jesus' enemies, they were not of ignorance. It's not because, oh, I didn't quite catch who you were, Jesus. It was not the failure of Jesus. You know, he should have done a better job of presenting himself. 
They failed to recognize who Jesus was. Indeed, later on, their own effort to kill him rose out of belonging to the evil one. But let's think about that other brother. Let's think about Abel. Now, here we have the good guy in the story. I mean, God accepts his offering. The New Testament also has something to say about Abel. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Do you hear that? Abel was commended as righteous. You know, when you put all the passages together, the one in Genesis, the one in 1 John about Cain, and this one about Abel, you might come away with the conclusion there are two kinds of, of people in the world. There are those who are sinners like Cain, and there are those who are righteous like Abel. Yes, sin entered the world, but it hasn't taken over everybody. There's still a good number of of us pretty good folks. Well, let's go deeper into that verse in Hebrews. Now, the context is this. The author is presenting the role of faith in obtaining and resting in the favor of God. In the last verse of chapter 12, I read from chapter 13, says that we are to be of those who have faith. And thereby, by that faith, we preserve their souls. And so he then takes us in chapter 13. He's going to give us the hall of fame of of faith holders. And he's going to show how whatever it is that they did, they did it by and through faith. And, And Abel, because he appears first there in the Bible, he's the first guy mentioned. So what is it that Abel did by faith? Well, according to Hebrews, he offered to God an acceptable sacrifice. Why was this offering acceptable? Well, commentators differ on the reason. Some people point to that, that type of offering. You know, he presented a, um, a lamb. Cain presented produce, fruit of the soil. There's nothing wrong with that. But Abel's offering indicated that what God wanted was a sin offering. And a sin offering is you get an animal to substitute for you. And that's what God wanted. That's an enticing interpretation. My hesitation with it is that Genesis gives the reason. It says Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd, Cain brings produce, Abel brings a lamb or, uh, you know, out of his herd. Now, it seems evident that the real distinction between these men is that one possessed faith and one did not. Now, faith in what? Well, faith that comes from God, or faith that righteousness comes from God and not from oneself. The writer in Hebrews uh, 13.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, And that he rewards those who seek him. 
Now, of course, Cain, he believed that God existed. But here's what he also believed, evidently, that God rewards those who prove themselves worthy. He believed that an offering of what he produced, it should have satisfied his creator. I, Cain, I've labored hard for what I had to bring to you, God. See what I have done. Well, if you come with that attitude, of course he's angry when his offering is rejected. And all the more angry when his younger brother, who is no better than he is, certainly has not worked harder than he has, This smug little brother gets praised for what I should have received? Are you kidding me? That's what's happening in Cain. Now, do you want to be commended by God, though, as righteous, like Abel? Well, then, beware of sin. That's what God says. His desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So, so rule over sin. That really worked well, didn't it? That advice for Cain. Just just rule over sin. But Cain couldn't have done it, could he? Well, then why would God tell Cain to do what he could not do? Well, maybe he was hoping here that Cain would realize that no, he could not overcome sin by his own effort. Maybe he wanted Cain to respond with something like this. Something like, well, what Jesus talked about in the parable of the tax collector. Remember that parable? Let me read that to you. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. That's a good way to start, isn't it? I thank you. Giving thanks to God that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Oh, thank you, God, for making me the great person that I am. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The sinner who went to the temple asked for mercy. He's justified. He's made righteous. You know, as Romans 3.10 says, look, no one is righteous. Not one. Just, just give up this thought of saying, you know, hey, I, I don't know what sins I've committed. I, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, that example that Sam gave at the beginning of a sermon last, just, just give it up. The Bible says, God says there's no one who is righteous. Not one. And so our only hope for righteousness is the righteousness that God gives to us. And the righteousness that God gives to us is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which he gives to everyone, to any who will place their faith 
in his son. What offering? What offering do you have to present to God? Is it your good works? Your righteousness? Better to offer up your faith. You trust in the one who alone lived a life of righteousness for you, who offered no less than himself up to God as a sacrifice on your behalf. As the writer of Hebrew says, come. Come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Come. Sinners, however poor and needy you may be. We thank you for this invitation, our God, to all, everyone. And whether we have never come to Jesus, whether we have come before, may we continue to come to our Lord Jesus Christ. May we continue to look to him alone for our righteousness. And we give you praise. We give you thanks for that one who has come and offered himself up to us, to us sinners poor and needy. In his name we pray. Amen.